Welcome to the All About Alts podcast, where we explore the world of alternative investing to help you find financial independence. Join our host, Newview Trust's president, Jason DeBono, as he covers a variety of topics with different guest speakers to discuss tax and alternative investing strategies. It is never too late to start taking control of your financial future, and we are so excited for you to be joining us for this opportunity to hear from some of the best in the business. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the All About Alts podcast. I am your host, Jason DeBono, and we have an exciting topic today. You know, as we bring on a lot of of great content and we bring on a lot of great guests, we also want to make sure that we're kind of compiling all that and giving you back some of that information in a little bit more consolidated way. And one of the things we've been getting uh, from a lot of our listeners is, what what do you see? You know, we at Newview here, we custody over $2 billion of assets. We see millions of dollars of transactions literally every day uh, moving in different directions. And so, uh, you know, I hadn't really done a deep dive and I hadn't really looked hard uh, at some of the trends that we're seeing. And so today we're going to focus on the top 10 alt trends that we're seeing as we kind of get to Q4 of 2023. Uh, And a lot of these will likely probably be prevalent and, and even more prevalent going into 2024. One of the things I love about what we do as an alternative asset custodian is we really get to live vicariously through our clients. And in doing so, we get to see some trends maybe that are a little bit further out front of the market uh, and people are changing a little bit of their activity uh, based on market conditions. And so we still see a lot of our core investments that clients make on a regular basis. But um, we went down and, and, uh, and I pulled out some of the top 10 things we're seeing. And so we'll have a little fun going through these today. I'll, I'll give as much information. Uh, uh, some of these I know a little bit more about, some I know a little bit less, but uh, we'll. if there's anything that you hear today that you really like or have some curiosity about, let us know. And, and we'll certainly go out and see if we can find some subject matter experts to bring onto the show uh, and dive a little bit deeper into any one of these investment categories. Uh, as always, uh, you know, we're passing information on. We're not endorsing or approving it. So uh, we're here to simply tell you what we're seeing. And we're we're here to give you a little bit of background on what we're seeing inside of that activity and, and the why behind it. Um, but make sure, like any good alternative investment, that you're doing your due diligence, investing in what you know and understand, and really making sure that, that you're uh, eyes wide open about what you're buying. Because the danger for many in alternatives is that this isn't just a readily available ticker symbol on the NASDAQ that you can buy and sell, right? Some of these are harder to find, harder to buy, and a lot of these are more illiquid and harder to sell. Uh, and so we never want to see someone owning an asset that they they didn't want to own from the get-go or feel like they weren't prepared to buy. So again, not to beat a dead horse, but uh, always, always exercise good due diligence. Uh, and if it takes a little longer to get to know uh, the investment, that's okay. Uh, know the strategy first and uh, and take your time through this process. So without further ado, let's dig in. Uh, I didn't necessarily put these in particular order. It's a little bit unfair. Some of these are bigger assets naturally by dollar amount or volume. They will just be bigger. Um, so I have them listed out again. I'll go through them uh, in a one through 10 uh, approach, but uh, we're not so focused on one being what we're seeing the most of or what we're seeing the most volume or dollar amount. Uh, it's just simply uh, some of the things that are easiest to chat about in that order. So uh, number one, to no surprise, is real estate. Uh, real estate is really kind of what we consider the big three here at Newview uh, assets, and, and they happen to be one, two, and three that we're going to talk about today. Um, but some of the trends we're seeing in real estate, 
you know, we're continuing to see a lot of Airbnbs, a lot of short-term rental VRBO type properties. Uh, we're continuing to see uh, a lot of single family rentals. Uh, we're also seeing some creative stuff. I know we had uh, on the show uh, earlier this year, we had, uh, you know, some discussion around uh, additional dwelling units, ADUs. We're starting to see more and more of that. We're also seeing some tiny homes and some creative strategies. We're starting to see a lot of build to rent communities. Uh, and these are pretty cool because these are communities that are really built and developed for the purpose of rentals, but they're single family homes. And historically, I think uh, for most of us, you know, we're used to the idea of kind of these communities for rent being an apartment complex. Um, but we're starting to see that inside the single family home market. Uh, and that's a pretty cool thing to see. And, you know, one of the things we're hearing a lot is that a lot of people are becoming more transient. Um, younger generation is not necessarily looking to buy houses to live in. Uh, a lot of millennials that do own real estate don't even live there, right? They, they'd rather own an investment and rent. Um, they like the transient ability. Um, a lot of them, you know, really prefer working from home or working remote. And so uh, it, in their eyes, their lifestyle allows them to be more mobile. And as a result, uh, they don't mind renting. So they want to be in some of these communities where they're with like-minded people. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of those trends uh, on the real estate side play out, and, and it's been pretty cool. Um, on top of that, we're seeing all the same traditional real estate type transactions we've always seen, uh, but some of those more creative ones that, uh, that I just mentioned. The second category uh, that we're seeing is, again, in, in our big three, right, asset classes that are most common in self-directed accounts, and that is private lending. This is an area that's continuing to grow. I think it's been growing for as long as I can remember. Uh, but private lending uh, is something that we're starting to see um, really take off a little bit more. And, and we saw this back in 2008, 2009, 2010, as some of the credit crunch was hitting these, these banks and, and traditional lenders, uh, it became a little bit harder and harder to find loans. And as a result, uh, if you want to get deals done, right, whether that be a business deal, a real estate deal or something in between, a lot of that money was coming from private markets. And so we've seen a lot of individuals that have entered into the private lending space um, with rates being higher. It's pushed some of the interest rates up on the borrowing side, which is, uh, you know, from an investment standpoint, a major positive if you're on the lending side because you're able to get a higher yield, uh, maybe with the same amount or even a little bit of reduced risk. Uh, and so we're seeing more and more of that. We're also seeing a lot of peer-to-peer -peer lending, uh, a lot of, of loans that are chopped up uh, and divided up into smaller amounts. And so uh, there's you know, a few different platforms uh, on the internet, uh, groups and, and um, websites that will match everything up and they'll line everything up and you can invest fractional ownership uh, or invest smaller dollars into a bigger loan. And so uh, that peer-to-peer -peer lending is really taking off. And, and I think as you look at the marketplace, um, you know, and, and uh, we're in Q4 of 2023, and there's no doubt there's economic uncertainty. And when that happens, uh, you know, credit tightens. And as a result, private markets for lending goes up. And so uh, we think that's a trend uh, that we'll continue to see. Um, some other things we've seen uh, on the lending side that are um, you know, we think pretty cool. You know, we've seen loans uh, to, you know, restaurants and, and bars and nightclubs uh, with collateral uh, against a liquor license so that you're not just loaning money and hoping their business is successful. You're loaning money and also, uh, you know, tying that loan back to something. We've seen business loans uh, at a little bit of a higher clip than we've seen in the past. So uh, if there's anyone out there, uh, you know, that that has capital, uh, there's always an opportunity to find someone somewhere, somehow 
uh, that may need to borrow that. And if the terms are right, it may make perfect sense. Private equity. Uh, this is the last of the big three. Um, you know, if, if you look at what our clients predominantly do or really what most self-directed account holders do, about 80% fall into that real estate lending or private equity category. So private equity uh, means you've invested into private enterprise. So typically this is some form of operational business, uh, regardless of where they sit in terms of tenure or how big the business is. Um, but private equity is a huge market. It always has been forever. Uh, this could be something like investing into a friend of yours lawn care business. This could be investing into a huge conglomerate uh, of like a venture capital fund that owns a bunch of businesses, an angel fund. Um, but we're also seeing a lot of angel investing. Angel investing is really where your IRA or you are investing in this super early stage, right? A lot of times this may be at the point just simply of proof of concept. A lot of angel investing, these companies either aren't turning a profit or may not even have any revenue or have very little uh, revenue. What what angel investing is, is, is really what's getting a lot of these groups off the ground. Um, the the uh, Jobs Act uh, was something that, that passed uh, during the Obama administration that really helped get money into the hands of, of small businesses. And so uh, we've seen a lot of that. Uh, pick up. We've seen a lot of that with crowdfunding type private equity transactions uh, that we hadn't seen in the past. We're seeing more and more of that. Uh, some more grassroots type investing, investing in a lo local coffee shop, uh, you know, in your neighborhood to try to keep it going and, and generate return. So uh, private equity is continuing to grow. I think it will always continue to grow, but uh, it goes a lot hand in hand with lending. Um, as the credit markets tighten up and businesses need capital to grow and expand their business, they start looking to private investors uh, for that capital when the public markets or the you know typical lending uh, markets they would go to maybe uh, tighten up their standards a little bit. The, uh, the fourth thing that we see, and this is kind of under real estate, but it, it's something that, that we're seeing more and more, and that is farmland. Um, Super cool, um, you know, idea. This is people investing into farms. Um, and some of these are true working farms. Some of these are agritourism type farms like a UPIC um, that has, you know, activities and events uh, on top of some of that agriculture um, business operations that it has. And, you know, for a lot of people, you know, they look at farmland as a way to invest in America and the roots of what we do. Um, they also want to make sure that, you know, they think there's an opportunity for people to, you know, continue buying produce and a lot of their vegetables and other things at farmers markets. And so the sustainability of a lot of those things does come uh, from a lot of individual investors sometimes. And so uh, farmland has really grown um, almost into its own category, uh, you know, certainly falls under the realm of real estate. Um, but I think it kind of singles itself out because it is a little bit different and a little bit unique. Uh, and so we've seen a lot more of that. There, there's companies uh, um, online that actually specialize in crowdfunding and crowdsourcing just farm-like transactions. And so um, I never knew there was a lot of different ways to invest into uh, you know, farmland and farming operations and, and agritourism. Uh, but, uh, but the more and more that I've seen it, the more and more I've realized a lot of ways to participate in that. Uh, and we're certainly seeing a lot of activity there. Number five, um, 
Commodities. Now, when we talk about commodities, we tend to think of oil and gas and precious metals, but I want to put those off to the side because we're actually going to talk about those as their own category um, here in a little bit. But I want to talk about, you know, some of the other commodities that not many people tend to think about or know about, um, but that's stuff like wheat, soybeans, livestock. Um, all of these items are considered commodities and you can invest in the funds, right? You can invest as an entire uh, commodities exchange. And so you can participate in that, or you can actually invest more deliberately into the commodities, whether it be into the farms uh, that maybe you're growing some of that into some of the cattle ranches, uh, you know, on more the real estate side. Um, but we're actually seeing, uh, you know, we've seen a lot more cattle uh, as an actual investment being held. And so people are investing into cattle uh, and they're making their money when that cattle is ultimately sold, uh, whatever that exit looks like. And so, um, you know, kind of cool to think that that you can not only own it, but you can even own it in an IRA. And that is you can own 100 head of cattle. Right? Uh, and so what you're buying, right, your asset is the cattle. And, and what you're looking for is how is their return generated? And so, you know, is that cattle being held and is it ultimately being sold? What does that process look like? And, and you're uh, eligible, depending on, on uh, you know, what you want to do with your money to invest uh, into that. And so um, we've seen a lot more of that. You know, we've always seen some small uh, bits and pieces of it, but we've seen that uh, as a growing opportunity. And I think it kind of goes back a little bit to the farmland. You know, people like the sustainability and they like, um, you know, the the smaller farms, the, the ones that may not be able to get as much help and support. And so uh, some of these are local. And so they're able to continue to produce uh, and hopefully at a profit. And, and when they produce at a profit, uh, that profit is shared or split, depending on your agreement um, with those that have invested into that. Uh, so pretty cool stuff there. Uh, on uh, on the commodity side, there's a lot more that falls under that category. Again, we'll strip oil and gas and precious metals out, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about each of those. Those those are commodities that are a little bit more mainstream and more accessible, uh, you know, for the average person to invest into. So that kind of rounds out our first five, right? To recap, we've got real estate, right, lending, private equity, farmland, and then the the commodities that are a little bit more. Uh, esoteric, right? Your wheat, your soybeans, your livestock. Um, and those are all pretty cool categories. A lot of fun talking about them. Um, but I'd encourage you if any of those pique any of your uh, interest, uh, you know, we have stuff on our website uh, about them, but but give them Google, give them a quick search and, and see what's out there. Uh, I think you'd be amazed at some of the opportunities that may present themselves uh, in each of those various categories. Uh, but as always, make sure that you understand what you're investing into and, and get your due diligence squared away up front. So with that, let, let's take a quick uh, sidestep here and and uh, and kick it over to the quirky questions. I always love this part when we don't have a guest on the show because it means I get to ask myself the quirky questions and selfishly, uh, I have a hard time not answering them when our guests are here. So uh, this is fun for me. So Maggie, our show producer is here. Thank you, Maggie. Um, and as always, if you have quirky questions that you want to get uh, onto the show, you can email Maggie with a Y at newviewtrustwithau.com, and she will get those uh, put into the list and, and divide it out onto, uh, onto our sheets here. So we've got three questions. I think I know the way this works. Here we go. Question number one, is it acceptable to eat dessert before a meal? Well, at the risk of my kids hearing this, um, the answer is no, but uh, if I'm being completely truthful, 
Of course it is. Um, is it acceptable to do it every single time? Probably not. Uh, is it the healthiest thing to do? Certainly not. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Live a little. If you want your ice cream before you have your, uh, your meat and potatoes, go for it. Just don't spoil your meal. Number two, do you have any unique family traditions? Um, you know, this, this is an interesting question because I think it depends on what your uh, definition of unique and what your definition of family traditions is. But um, I think for, for us, um, I don't know if it's unique, uh, but we think it is. And, and selfishly, it's something that we just absolutely love. Um, so about 10 years ago uh, or so, we decided to stop buying any presents for nieces, nephews, uh, birthdays, Christmas, uh, and the like. And instead, we started a tradition called Cousins Weekend. And so my wife and I find a place uh, to go and take the entire family. And so her side of the family, my side of the family, we bring everybody with us. Uh, there's between 20 and 27 people, depending on the year. Uh, and uh, I think there's 12 uh, cousins that are all uh, you know, under the age of 15 or so. Uh, and it's just an absolute blast. Uh, we've been doing it now. I think uh, this coming up year will be the 10th year uh, that we've done it. Uh, I don't know how unique it is, but it's a big family tradition to uh, for us. Uh, we've got pictures of all the kids lined up next to each other, you know, every year uh, for all of those years. And so um, we uh, we love it. It's our cousins weekend. Look forward to it every year. Uh, it gets harder and harder to find a place that that makes sense for all of us. But we've been pretty fortunate up to this point uh, to go to some pretty cool places and, and really just have a, an awesome weekend together. All right. Uh, number three, go with the flow or have a plan. Um, this one's super easy for me. Um, I'm a go with the flow guy. Um, I'm not much of a planner, um, although I do like to prepare. And, and that probably sounds contradictory. Uh, I'll use travel, for example. I'm leaving in the morning for a trip. Um, I don't necessarily have a plan, but I'm prepared to go with the flow with some direction. Uh, so maybe that's a little bit of, of both, but uh, if I've got to select one, uh, it's go with the flow. I think you can always kind of figure it out. Uh, just get some rough idea around the edges of where you want to be or don't want to be or what you do or don't want to do. Uh, and I think everybody should be a little more go with the flow and a little bit less stringent to a plan. So there you have it. Those are my quirky questions uh, of the day. Thank you to, uh, to our listeners that keep uh, submitting those. Always a good time. Always fun to uh, to get those. And again, I love uh, love having guests on the show, but a little selfishly, I love uh, when we don't have a guest that I get to fully participate. So let's bring it back to this kind of 10 uh, alternative asset classes that we're seeing that are really trending. Um, and when we say trending, it means that we're seeing more people in our client database making investments in or out of these types of assets. Uh, some of these we see regularly. Some of these we've seen such a big uptick in, it, it's kind of cool. Uh, and so it's a little hard for us necessarily to, uh, to always understand the why behind it. But a lot of times if we look at the asset class and kind of understand market conditions, um, it makes sense. And, and the next one uh, is a prime example, tax liens. Um, we've seen, uh, and this is item number six on the list, We've seen a big, big interest spike, and we're seeing a, a big investment spike into tax liens. And, you know, it's starting to make more and more sense because for those that don't know, the way tax liens work is tax liens are tied to your property taxes as a homeowner. If you don't pay your property taxes, the county will issue a tax lien to a third-party investor to cover the cost. 
Well, if you kind of think about the logic behind it, if I owe $4,000 for the year in property taxes and I don't pay, the government, right, municipality that I'm paying my property taxes to is expecting that $4,000 because they run, right, their budget off of, off of that home paying the 4,000 bucks. So what, what they did and, and uh, you know, how long ago and who came up with this uh, is a little bit beyond me, but they created a way for the counties to sell to third-party investors the tax liens. And what it does is it makes the municipality that issue that has that uh, tax revenue owed to it, it makes them whole. What it does is it now makes the third party, let's say I buy the tax lien, it now means that I'm the one that's owed, right, for this 4,000 bucks, not the county. And it allows the county to continue to operating their budget. And then it allows me as an investor basically to earn interest in the form of penalties, if you will, to the homeowner for being delinquent. So tax liens uh, typically are bid, meaning you bid the interest rate down. Uh, usually it starts at 18%. And if you bid it down to 14 and no one else is willing to pay less for that or take less interest and you win the bid at 14, then that means that the homeowner that owes the $4,000 owes you $4,000 plus 14% until it's paid off. So what you're looking for in tax liens is you're looking to have liens on properties that have a high likelihood of paying off. People that maybe just got behind will eventually pay off. People that are never going to pay uh, if they've got equity in the home or are planning to sell it because it's a lien, it has to be paid off at closing. So there's some, some safety and security, but it's not a guarantee like any investment. Um, but certainly uh, tax liens, uh, you know, as we look at, at a marketplace where um, continued potential economic uncertainty is lingering out there, uh, tax liens naturally become uh, a rising investment because there's more of them available and the ability to earn money on those um, becomes a little bit more and more accessible. So uh, pretty cool asset class. Uh, we've seen a lot of that over the years, but uh, I'm sure uh, as we kind of go into this, this market that we're headed into, uh, we may see more of them uh, over the next uh, couple of years. The next one's kind of fun, but I want to put a big asterisk next to it, and that is wine and bourbon. Um, it's super fun without question, right? The idea of investing in wine or investing in bourbon is so cool. Um, however, I put a little asterisk because I want to be clear in an IRA, typically alcohol is not permitted. Now there are ways to invest into alcohol related assets like alcohol or like bourbon and wine. Um, but you want to make sure that you're understanding exactly what that investment is and that the investment itself does not violate the rules that the IRS has. Now, why they singled out alcohol as one of the small items on the prohibited transaction list, I don't know. Um, but uh, there are, uh, we definitely have, have seen clients that have engaged in transactions uh, that they felt comfortable and felt like they were within the guidelines um, from a wine and bourbon standpoint. I'm sure there's plenty of others and more ways to do it. Um, but I think with wine and bourbon, because of the aging process, you know, these producers are looking for ways to, to be producers, but not have to wait six years or eight years or 10 years, depending on the aging, to actually draw some revenues off of it. And so they're, they're creating these creative investment strategies for individuals to be able to participate. And so you can buy, uh, in essence, this barrel of wine uh, and then, you know, uh, 
profit, hopefully, off of the ultimate production uh, of that from barrel into bottle and then from bottle, uh, you know, out in uh, into purchases. So, um, you know, if you're uncomfortable or, or unsure where the guidelines are from an IRA, you can always make these types of investments personally, uh, no requirement that you use an IRA. But I want to be clear uh, on the IRA side that there is that caveat to make sure that the structure of the deal doesn't cause you any grief or any sort of restriction uh, with the IRS. We want to steer clear and avoid that as best we can. But what a fun uh, opportunity. Um, if you do some Google searching out there, there's uh, there's a lot of groups and organizations uh, available that uh, that will give you some insight into how that works and, and maybe even how some of those investments are structured. Um, but uh, pretty cool stuff. Number eight on the list. Precious metals. Now, this one's pretty common, uh, always has been uh, a pretty common investment uh, in our clients' accounts throughout the years. Um, precious metals really um, comes down to gold, silver, platinum, palladium. Uh, that tends to be the four that we see the most. Um, there's a lot of variations and iterations of metals uh, in terms of, you know, whether it's marked coins or unmarked coins. Um, in order for a coin to be eligible in an IRA, it does have to meet the purity levels, which is 0.999 uh, for all metals and 0.995 for gold because it's a little bit softer. What that means is that it's got to be pure. Um, you can't go buy, you know, 80% gold. It's got to meet that 0.995 or 999 for all other metal purity. The other thing that they require is that that any sort of metal is either government issued and there's a list of coins that are permissible uh, or is NYMEX or COMEX approved. Um, don't quote me on what those acronyms stand for, um, but I believe they represent the refinery process or manufacturers uh, of those bars uh, that can uh, you know, ensure or guarantee their validity in terms of uh, meeting the purity levels. So um, being able to, to hold these types of assets uh, you know, is something we see a lot of clients do. Uh, we typically require them to set up an LLC in order to do that, just so uh, it's a little bit easier uh, for all parties involved. Um, when you buy metals in an IRA, they've got to be stored. And so you've got to find a depository. Uh, and that LLC gives you a lot more flexibility on picking and choosing your own uh, third party depository. Um, but really outside of that, as long as the metals do not fall into the numismatic or collectible um, nature, they can be held. Um, there is a list that the IRS does publish in terms of types of coins or markings of coins that are eligible. So, um, you know, if you're looking at, uh, you know, a Golden Eagle, for example, uh, you know, which is a U.S. Treasury minted coin, um, that's something that you can buy in an IRA. Um, but something like a Krugerrand uh, can't be because it's just below the the purity level requirements. So make sure uh, if if you're into coins or, or understand how they work or think that they're cool and want to, uh, just understand where the line is so that you know what you can buy in an IRA and what you can't. As always, if you like the asset, you can buy it outside the IRA, even if it's uh, prohibited inside the IRA. Number nine um, is pretty cool. Um, it's really cool because I had a call earlier today on the subject, but um, is royalties. Now, royalties means uh, really ultimately that you're getting some sort of continued payment off of the activity of that investment. So if you invest into uh, something as a royalty deal, we see this a lot in mineral rights. We see it in oil and gas. Um, you know, if you invest into the mineral rights uh, as a royalty, then as these minerals are pulled out of the ground or, or put into manufacturing or production, uh, as that happens, right, there's a pre-agreed upon royalty that you're paid. Um, I talked to a, a, a group earlier, and in fact, they're going to be on the podcast here in, in uh, the next couple of weeks. Um, super cool group, but they're a royalty on the business side. 
So kind of like a private equity, but instead of having some equity or debt in the company that you're getting a predetermined return on, you're actually buying a royalty and, and you're getting a piece right, of the activity of what that business is doing. Uh, and that's really cool. So um, royalties, you know, historically were a little more oil and gas, a little more mineral rights uh, is where we tended to see it the most. But we're starting to see that uh, on the business side now uh, in the non-commodity level space. And that's really a cool thing. Um, so royalties really represent your ability to, uh, to earn a little bit uh, off the production or off the sale of each of the, you know, widgets, if you will, uh, of whatever you're investing into. And so uh, kind of a fun way to invest. Uh, and and it, it, uh, it moves you from uh, the debt and equity side uh, over into a little bit more of the partial equity, partial debt, uh, you know, predetermined payment, uh, but you're not limited to, to the upside or downside of the business. And so that's a pretty cool uh, place to be. Number 10, Oil and gas. Um, now, this is one that, uh, you know, you can make a case uh, we, we could have or should have covered under commodities. Oil and gas certainly represents uh, one of the top commodities there is. But the reason that I wanted to kind of talk oil and gas separately is because it's a uh, it's a pretty cool market. Um, you know, like anything else, right, It it uh, it's an area that you need to understand and it's an area that you need to kind of determine uh, where your investment opportunity lies. But I think one of the things that's really cool about oil and gas is there's a lot of different ways that you can participate in the oil and gas industry. Now, oil and gas um, is, industry as a whole is all about really the, the production and manufacturing of these uh, commodities, pulling them out of the ground uh, and ultimately getting them to a place where they can be refined and used. Uh, so, you know, for example, uh, oil, right? We're drilling in the ground, they're pulling oil out. Uh, and then that oil is being refined and turned into lots of things, right? Gas and, and others. So when we think about oil and gas, you know, there's a lot of things that we've seen this a little bit that makes this asset class kind of unique. Um, and that is that we've seen you can invest in oil and gas from a royalty standpoint, right? You, you have no equity, you have no debt, you're just there and, and every unit uh, that's pulled out of the ground, you get a piece of, right? A predetermined amount, right? That's a pretty cool way to participate. We've also seen oil and gas that looks a lot like real estate, where you're actually buying the land or buying uh, ultimately the property that that these oil wells or you know gas drills are actually being put onto. And so uh, that's pretty cool as well because you're buying uh, you know real estate, but you're buying real estate with a very unique and distinct purchase. Uh, and so you're able to generate returns on the real estate side uh, of it and and may not be as tied to production of the well uh, as you would be if you were on the royalty side. We've also seen where you can invest into true production. So you invest really ultimately in the production. Uh, and so kind of like a royalty, right, where you're getting a small piece. But uh, typically this is is something that you're going to get paid, not a predetermined price. You're going to get paid a percentage of the results of what they pull out. Uh, and so, you know, when they pull it out of the ground, they they sell it to a manufacturer, to a refinery, and then they get paid X and, and you get, uh, you know, your percentage or your share of that based on your ownership. And then we've also seen, uh, you know, investments that are on the assets. So, you know, we've seen funds that actually that that are buying up the assets. A lot of these, um, you know, oil wells and, and all of these big machinery and equipment, um, which is super cool. Uh, and then we've seen people that are actually buying used, right, uh, wells. So they, you know, large companies come in and they pull all the oil out of the ground. There's a little bit still coming up. Um, but, you know, the big 
big players in this space, they don't want to, you know, trickle their way to success. And so uh, they'd rather sell it to a smaller operator that's perfectly comfortable, um, you know, pulling it out of the ground at a slower rate uh, and generating revenue and profit that way. Um, so oil and gas is is, uh, is a pretty cool opportunity. You know, one of the things that when, when inflation is going up, there tends to be a rise. And we've seen this in oil and gas prices. I think that's a big push as to why people are drawn uh, into this space, certainly more so today, maybe than some years past. So um, all uh, all pretty cool things. So let's recap, right? We went through the first five before our quirky questions, right? We hit real estate, lending, private equity, farmland, and commodities, right? And, and a lot of subcategories inside of that. And then after the quirky questions, we hit the, the, the next five, which really are a little bit more unique, right? Tax liens, wine and bourbon and other uh, related items, precious metals, royalties, oil and gas. Um, so these are all the various investment classes that we've seen trending a little bit more than, than in years past. Uh, and I think it's fair to say based on you know the market that we're in today, we'll probably see uh, you know these continue to, uh, to be a primary focus and staple in a lot of our clients' accounts. Um, on top of all of that, uh, there will be some new strategies and some new items and some new players uh, and asset classes that come in, in uh, into this list. And we're certainly looking forward to that. Um, so to kind of close us out here, you know, what we really wanted to kind of highlight today, and, and I hope you had a little fun with me as we went through it, is there really is no one size fits all asset class for everybody. Not everything on this list will make sense for everybody listening to today's show. In fact, I'd say maybe only one or two of these items on the list will make sense for any one person listening. Um, you know, there's there's value in diversity, but you'd never understand enough about each of these asset classes to truly diversify. And so, you know, my suggestion to you guys is get to know a couple of them. If you like them, if they're cool, if you can be passionate about them and you can make money uh, and then look for diversity inside of asset classes uh, I think sometimes we have this tendency to think that we've got to buy all these unique asset classes to create diversity. But as you've heard me say on the show before, investing into what I don't know, simply to call it diversity is a recipe for disaster. So make sure you've got the knowledge base before you're diversifying. And if your knowledge is in one of these or two of these, then look for diversity inside those asset classes where your knowledge can reign supreme. And hopefully uh, you can find ways to make sure that you're protected uh, should the market shift. But also stay and maintain that that level of understanding of what you're buying and how you're buying it. Uh, we don't want to lose sight of that. As always on the show, we'll continue to bring on uh, powerful guests. We've got uh, the, the next few weeks uh, as we bring season one to a close uh, here inside of Q4 uh, is going to be awesome. We've got a couple of great speakers uh, on tap uh, as we wind things down and take a little hiatus over the uh, holiday break, and then we'll hop right back into it right after the holidays. Um, but if you like the show, please hit the like, share, subscribe button. Uh, we want to continue to build this community. Uh, feel free at any point, uh, if you're an active listener of the show, make sure that that uh, you're leaving us that five-star review so we can help others out there get a feel for the value that we're continuing to bring, hopefully, here on this show. Uh, if you do have topics or ideas that you'd like to see us cover as we close out season one or getting out in front of season two, please send those to our show producer, Maggie uh, at Maggie at Newview Trust, Maggie with a Y, newviewtrust.com with a U. Uh, you can send those over uh, and we'll certainly uh, you know, review those and, and make sure that we're covering topics that you guys want to hear. Until next week, 
Happy investing, everybody. Stay safe. Thank you so much for listening. We hope the information within this podcast has given you the tools that you need to find your way to financial independence. We would love to partner with you on this journey. Text ALTS, that's A-L-T-S, to 407-708-1853 to learn more about how to get started today. Don't forget to follow us to make sure you don't miss a second of content. And we'll see you next week.